This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions and where we try to have compassionate conversations about challenging subjects. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and this episode is brought to you by the patrons. Oh, God, I was not a good Boy Scout and had this pulled up. Hold on. Let me pull up the list. All right. This episode is brought to you by the patrons, Sean, Capro, June, Miley, JP, and Chopra. Every little bit helps. This show is only possible with your help. So if you love my work, if you look forward to listening to the podcast or reading the blog post every single week, then go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. There is also a link in the show notes and sign up for just $1 a month and you get extra content, including my House of Heretics podcast, where the former Salvation Army officer and progressive Christian Timothy McPherson and I talk about theology, philosophy, cultural issues, culture war issues from our overlapping but slightly divergent perspectives, and it's always a good time. And so if you reach the end of this episode and you think, I would pay a dollar to listen to that, then go ahead and just sign up for Patreon. It isn't much, and every little bit helps. And it really does go to like practical, boring, adulting things like feeding my cats and keeping my van from exploding and my, my creepy soccer mom serial killer van from exploding. Also... If you haven't already, please do sign up for my newsletter. If you enjoy the podcast, then you will certainly enjoy the blog. Right now, I'm writing an article that will be out by the time this episode comes out called The Satanic Dichotomy of Indulgence versus Self-Mastery, where Satanism is commonly known for being a religion of indulgence, of hedonism. Both Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley were famous for their hedonism. But as I have matured as a person and as a Satanist, I've come to see that that needs to be balanced. And there is this balance between uh, hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, as well as self-mastery and restraint, and how those two things are often set at odds with each other, but that's actually a false binary. And so the satanic practice of erasing the boundary between those things, just like the Baphomet of uh, embodying the reconciliation of opposites. So if that's the kind of thing that interests you, then please go subscribe to my newsletter. There is a link in the show notes, and I will just keep coming back like a serial killer, no matter how many times you shoot me in the face, like, like, um, like, uh, oh, what's the serial killer from Halloween? Do you remember? Mike Myers. Mike Myers, just like Michael Myers. No matter how many times he burns alive in a house, he will always come back. Anyway, with all of that, (laughs) with all of that out of the way, I'm delighted to welcome Jack Holloway to the show. Jack. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I am really interested in this article that you wrote about, or that you're writing about. Oh, good. Um, Satanism and uh, hedonism, because that's one thing in in my book. And I I don't want to like, you know, jump ahead, but um, I, I felt a little bad for the representation of uh, Satanism that comes through in my book because it does kind of focus on that hedonism, and but that's because of the way that it influenced rock and roll. So like the its reception by like Led Led Zeppelin and and, uh, and I mean Page. it is definitely a huge part of Satanism. I mean the the first uh, rule of the earth. I think it's the rules of the earth. I don't have the Satanic by. Oh, here it is. You know Anton Lavey's nine nine. Oh, the nine Satanic statements. The first one is Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. So I mean it can't be more clear than that. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) that's Um, that's pretty, you know, the we're on this side of the extreme. Exactly. (laughs) And um, yeah, anyway, I I I, what I what I like about the Satanic Temple and I mean, we're just getting right into it, I guess. But what I like about (laughs) the Satanic Temple is how it allows for ways to explore and update and reform older manifestations of satanism where it's like okay that worked at the time it was of its time it it was important 
the Satanists who came before us were important, and I'm grateful to them. But uh, we can also update this. And for me personally, one of the updates is the extremes of, you know, the the idea of Satanism being this indulgent, uh, hedonistic balance to Christianity's extreme self-restraint and piousness and self-abnegation. And so it's almost it's almost like we swing between these extremes of blackout hedonism or complete self-denial. And I think that with a Satanism that is far more engaged in far more concerned with balance and the reconciliation of opposites, at least that's my Satanism. We can explore the ways in which hedonism requires self-control. We can explore the ways in which hedonism requires mastery, be it kink or, or sexuality or drug use or whatever the case may be, and the way in which self-mastery yields its own forms of pleasure. And so we can start to erase that boundary between the two. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, welcome to the show. And uh, tell us some about who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, so uh, I well, I guess I'm an author now. <laughs> you are, I, I and this is book. this your is this your first <laughs> podcast interview for your book? Uh, no, actually, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So I, I'm an author. I'm a musician. Um, I a producer and a, a director and a photographer. I do a lot of if if it's artistic and uh, doesn't make money, I'm all about it. <laughs> so uh, I've got a record label called Morbid Instinct and a band called The Heavens. And we play like uh, everything from like dark wave to heavy metal. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah. And I, I grew up like you. I grew up, uh, you know, evangelical Christian. I in uh, of all places, Seattle, Washington. Uh, it's kind of like a, a an evangelical pocket of that area. Just out um, of curiosity, which church were you in? in seattle i had friends who were at mars hill and i had friends okay. who were at um i freaking forget what judah smith's church was called. i can't remember um, yeah but uh it, i went to a smaller church a non-denominational church that was kind of like assemblies of god adjacent so you know lots of, lots of emphasis on you know getting in the spirit and speaking in tongues and all that and uh, and then like my grandmother was a pastor of her own like tiny cultish congregation. There's like some some real um you know like deep the deep church <laughs> like deep evangelical church. Yeah, deep deep in the bowels. Uh, did you speak in tongues? Uh, no, I always thought there was something wrong with me. <laughs> oh, oh, so you're so yeah, you know, I speaking of speaking of articles, I I wrote an, an article about this, how, you know, growing up in the church in in the charismatic church, uh speaking in tongues was just very much like part of life. But in a lot of Pentecostal settings, this wasn't my specific setting, but in a lot of Pentecostal settings, there these churches kind of divided into this case system of those who could speak in tongues and those who couldn't. And it was yeah. <laughs> really awful for the people who couldn't. <laughs> it was because they're, they were left feeling like there was something really wrong with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it didn't even, you don't even need to have like a specific prejudice about it for it to make you feel that way sometimes you're just in the room and you're looking around and everybody is feeling something that you're just definitely not yeah and uh it's like what did i not smoke like <laughs> are, are you all on something that i'm not on um, what what mushroom did i not eat before coming <laughs> right, into right. this room yeah definitely but there was uh there was one time i think i was 17 and i was like home uh visiting from college and my dad was like you know i changed my opinion on speaking in tongues and i was like oh yeah what what is it and he's like i i no longer believe it's uh necessary for your salvation 
<laughs> and I was like, well, gee, I guess I'm so, glad so this you changed your mind on that. <laughs> so this entire time, your father had been thinking that, oh, my son is just a reprobate. <laughs> He's just going to hell. <laughs> it would explain a lot. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so clearly we have a lot in common. We grew up in similar circumstances, and we are now dealing with it in our own unique ways. I have become a Satanist, and you wrote a book called Hands of Doom, The Apocalyptic Imagination of Black Sabbath. And it is awesome. I've been working my way through it, and it's about the theology of Black Sabbath. And not necessarily, and, and you make this clear in the book, it isn't necessarily a comparison of the theology of Black Sabbath to, you know, other other forms of theology or, or Christian theology, but it's very much an examination of, of Blacks, what is Black Sabbath's theology on its own merits. And yeah. so it's fascinating. And so I think... A good starting point here is what is theology and how does Black Sabbath fit into that? Oh, yeah. No, that's a great question. Well, yeah. So I kind of talk the the way I answer this in the book is I essentially say, like, maybe theology because because we can't really uh, because it begs the question of God. Right. Like the study of God. Okay, well, how do you study God? God is silent and hidden. You can't see God. You can't, like, test your hypotheses against, you know, some kind of evidence about God, per se, you know? So, like, there there are those who would say that, like, theology is just about, you know, what people have said about God. Uh, and, t- like, just the talk of God, God talk. But uh, a theologian wants to do more than that. Uh, a theologian wants to to make truthful statements about God as a reality, speaking truthfully about who God is, what God is. I think Black Sabbath does this in a kind of satanic way, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of being a kind of adversary. Um, originally, the word Satan comes from the Hebrew word hasatan, which means the adversary. Uh, so... Geezer Butler, the bassist and lyricist of Black Sabbath, describes an experience when he was uh, a teenager where uh, he heard like a fire and brimstone missionary preacher. And he was kind of horrified by the the like putting a gun to your head, like, are you going to heaven tonight (laughs) Uh, or if you were if you were to die kind of Christianity. And uh, so it it really kind of woke him up and he he became real disillusioned by it. And so he says, he's like, okay, well, if that's what God's like, what is Satan like? So there's a way in which like Black Sabbath is kind of like entering the conversation of theology from an adversarial perspective, uh, kind of like at, from a critical perspective. I don't go so far as to say in the book that like the they believe in God. Um, I'm more just examining the lyrics and you know the story of the band and kind of explicating it and doing kind of exegesis on it and asking like what are the theological statements that are being made here Mm. um but yeah that so it's like it's not it's not your your dad's theology but um it's definitely theological so is there in your mind such a thing as non-theistic theology or theology from the perspective of someone who who believes in an absence of God or does not have a belief in God is there is there theology for that person yeah i mean absolutely like theology is just another type of literature it's just a name that we give to a kind of literature so if you're reading a theology book and you agree with it then like you you've started to pick up some theology you know and i think the the way that the our postmodern world has kind of complicated this is what 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 even is god like what what do we talk about when we say like do you believe in god it's like okay well i don't believe that it's like some kind of muscly dude man 
you know, hovering over the universe, making wheel and creating woe, you know, and like just bringing glory to himself by creating a bunch of mice in a mousetrap. But, you know, for a lot of people, that like actually is exactly that is exactly who he is. So, yeah, like I think how you even answer the question of like, who is God or what is God is the answer to that question, I would say. And there are ways of answering the question, who is God? What is God? That are perfectly consistent with the modern world and with the scientific method and uh, with a certain brand of uh, atheism. No, I agree with that. And, you know, just listening to you talk, thinking about my own life as someone who is a non-theist, as someone who does not believe in God or gods or literal Satan or heaven or hell. Paradoxically, I feel like I am more theological now in terms of my thinking and and how I interact with the world than I ever have been. (laughs) And I feel like I have a much greater sense of awe. And you know, a, a much greater sense of awe and enchantment than I ever had when I was a fundamentalist Christian. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the satanic ministry, which is a which which is the body of satanic ministers in the satanic temple, they uh they talk about uh satanic theology. And that can sound like a paradox because it is, you know, because T.S. the the Satanic Temple and because Satanism in general is non-theistic. But I think, as you just described, it th- theology can be for everyone. And so, for anyone listening to this episode uh, and seeing the title, I don't know what I'm going to name it yet. It might be something like the theology of Black Sabbath or, you know, something like that. Who knows? And wondering why, what does theology have to do with me? I think theology is entirely yours to lay claim to regardless of what you believe. Yeah. I mean, and I, I absolutely like when you said you feel more theological now, um, I can relate to that because it the the theology of fundamentalist Christianity alienates you from reality. Yes, it does. It it asks you to believe a lot of things about reality that you can observe every day uh, not being true. <laughs> you know, like, yes, I like sometimes facetiously define faith as believing in something that isn't true. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't say that all the time, but uh, certainly for a lot of fundamentalist Christians, like that absolutely is what faith is, is Mm -hmm. believe something that isn't true. So when you actually start taking reality seriously and like learn about reality and learn about what the universe is actually composed of and like what the like the process of creation is like the process of the development of of planets and the development of the earth and whatnot like that it you become it blows your mind because the world of fundamentalist christianity is like very small like god's like the the christian god's planet is pretty small or the christian god's universe is pretty small compared to the universe that we can actually observe with our own eyes because we can take photos of it now you know so I, I I feel the same way. Um, and Marcella Altaus Reed in her book Indecent Theology she talks about wanting to like bring God back to reality. Like let's make true, let's make real statements about God. You know, like let's relate God to what is real and not to just what's in our head. You know, to what our ideas or our imagination is. Yeah, you know, the the demands that a lot of fundamentalist theology, and not even fundamentalist theology, just, you know, even even some mainline theology, a lot of the demands that a lot of different religious beliefs puts on us is to kind of create a place of just really deep fragility because it's like we're constantly having to protect that worldview 
from the obvious facts <laughs> around us. Yeah. And then that creates, you know, and so we 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 just enter that that space of cognitive dissonance where we're constantly trying to to fight off those invading thoughts or invading books or invading ideas or invading people. Um anything that might endanger like that that delicate structure inside of us that can just be very much at odds with reality you know like you know the belief that the earth is 6000 years old and that evolution isn't true and that and mm-hmm. so on and so you know the like young earth creationist stuff that is a very fragile belief because it yeah. is so at odds with reality mm-hmm. yeah so it's like so so when you say god what does that mean for you so That's let me a good question. I, and actually let me <laughs> let me let me get a bit more specific so just now and in your book you talk about how the theologian strives to make true statements about what god is and strives to and and that author you just quoted about kind of bringing god into reality and and there is a fact of the matter there that about god i assume that's how i'm that's how i'm interpreting you and Mm, and what you're saying is that there is a fact you know to, to bring you know bringing god out of those kind of fragile fundamentalist constructs and 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 engaging with God in reality. So what what is what does God mean for you? Yeah, well, um, this is I mean, this that's like a, a whole book in and of itself. Uh, I've on my wrists, I've got tattooed. Uh, one is Deus Absconditus and the other is Deus Revelatus. So it's God hidden, God revealed. And as a theologian and a writer, I kind of I write you know, with both of those hands, like God hidden and God revealed. Mm. And I kind of maintain that dialectical tension all the way down. There's like a, a, a kind of impossibility of speaking about God. And yet here I am speaking about God, you know, but I, I do associate, first of all, God with existence in and of itself. Um, the poet Emily Bronte one of my favorite lines, there is not room for death, nor Adam that his uh, might could render void, for thou art being and breath, and what thou art may never be destroyed, mm. and thou being God. So thou art being and breath. And even the word spirit comes, uh, the in the Hebrew, it's ruach, which means breath. And so it's like, God is breath, like God is being and life. Uh, But at the same time, I also associate God with morality. So there's a right and there's a a good and there's justice and there's responsibility. So I I think uh, those two kind of concepts, I, I definitely associate kind of fundamentally with what I call God. But I don't think of God as like a a person with like a, a mind and a will who's like uh, relating to humanity the way that human humans relate to each other. I think God is a person insofar as we are. He God is happening. <laughs> God's personhood is happening in human personhood. What would you say are the primary? theological themes of black sabbath and you really only cover the aussie years um so so during that that period of their work what are the primary themes that you draw from their work yeah so uh one of the things that tony iomi said in his autobiography is he he said he's always looking for contrasts in his uh song right like in his music you know like light and dark you know, like soft and hard, um, light and heavy. And kind of similarly, at the same time, Geezer, the lyricist, is thinking in terms of good and evil and heaven and hell because he comes out of a Catholic context and he took Catholicism very seriously as a teenager. But then he's also, you know, you grow up and you realize that the the people, the most powerful Christians... Uh, and 
just really the most powerful people are Christians, first of all. <laughs> and then those people are also the worst people in the world. <laughs> and they are <laughs> like, True. they are performing all kinds of evil. So at, in his time, it's Richard Nixon um, mm. is, I mean, when the band comes, when they play their first show, Richard Nixon is president and he is leading the war effort in Vietnam. Obviously, Black Sabbath from the UK, but in response to the Vietnam War, Geezer takes the Christian apocalypticism that's coming out of people like Billy Graham, who is a friend of Richard Nixon and is actually talking on the phone with Nixon while he's on the white while he's in the White House. We have the tapes. You can listen to it on YouTube now. It was just crazy to me. But anyway, like Billy Graham is an apocalyptic Christian fundamentalist and Geezer Butler takes his imagery of like the judgment day and sinners coming before God and begging for mercy and they being cast into torment and hell and he turns it on its head. And so instead of like, you know, all of the masturbators <laughs> going to hell for <laughs> like <laughs> ma to <laughs> masturbating excessively uh, and like, it, it, Except for all the, like, it's not like it's gays and feminists, <laughs> you know, like, right. uh, it's the war pigs. Yes. It's the people at the head of the war machine who are leading an international effort to end hundreds of thousands of lives and create horrible destruction on the earth. Those are the people who should be judged. Hmm. So in Geezer's Judgment Day, that's what's happening. Yeah. And you also what I find really fascinating is you hit on environmental catastrophe as well. Yeah. Talk some about that and and how Sabbath's music relates to the topic of environmental catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, and obviously this this is more like me relating the the lyrics to what's going on now because that wasn't so much a part of what geezer was writing about at the time but if you read electric funeral for example if you read if you listen to that song read the lyrics it's like a he's talking about atomic war right it, so it it's the the electric funeral being the the nuclear catastrophe that you know ends all life and uh Actually, I want to. I'm, I'm gonna look the lyrics up real yeah, quick. Yeah, please there's do. A, there's a there's a specific part that stuck out, really stuck out to me. Not just about atomic war, but relating it to climate catastrophe. Dying world of radiation, victims of man's frustration, burning globe of obscene fire, like electric funeral pyre. Uh, I presented this last year at the Society of Biblical Literature Conference, a paper on Black Sabbath's apocalypticism called Burning Globe of Obscene Fire. <laughs> which <laughs> how did, was how like, did they take it? How did they take that paper? Uh, it was good. I mean, it was a, a pop culture and theology panel. So um, nice. I don't know if I really got like a bunch of conservatives in the room, but I, <laughs> I really turned up the heat. <laughs> That's good. Perfect. Um, but yeah, that image of the, the burning globe and the kind of the, oh yeah, and the, the first lines of the song, warn you, you, warn you, you're gonna die, storm coming, you better hide. Those lines, you know, it's impossible for us to hear them today and not relate them to the climate crisis, especially in my favorite example, because it's so apocalyptic it's so biblical the skies of california turning red yeah because like the smoke has eclipsed the sun and the fires below are casting shadows on the smoke clouds above so that you just get like a big red sky like that to me was so crazy seeing those pictures and it was like and it's moral, like mm. they told you this was coming, you know, like the prophets told you this was coming <laughs> yeah. in inconvenient truth. 
Yeah. Like, and we continue, we continue to not uh, heed the warning, you know? So that, and that's, I think, what keeps me a theologian and what keeps me reading the Bible is like the, the prophetic tradition of looking at what is happening in society and seeing the writing on the wall, like seeing the message that needs to be heard, voicing that message. And then, you know, when things don't go that way or when they do, like being able to recognize goodness and truth and righteousness and justice in the world and then being able to recognize unrighteousness and injustice and evil in the world and being able to point to one and a point against the other. There are so many people who do that who aren't theologians, you know, and Black Sabbath to me is was one of those. Yeah. I mean, they they pointed at the horizon and said, look, this thing can come, you know, the this, you know, apocalypse can happen to us. And so they were kind of fulfilling a prophetic role. Uh, for people who don't know, what is the prophetic tradition that you're referring to that keeps bringing you back to the Bible? Yeah, so uh, in in the biblical tradition, the first prophet is Moses, because uh, Moses comes out of, Moses is God's messenger to Egypt um, when the Israelites are enslaved. And uh, Moses is the one who's going to go and tell Pharaoh to free the Israelites. And, well, they're not Israelites yet because there's no Israel at this point. But um, in any case, uh, but from there, you know, the the story in the Bible goes, they are freed. They are given their own place to live and they form a community, a tribal federation, and then they form a kingdom and then their kingdom is defeated and they're thrown into exile and then they are able to return from exile. But throughout the whole time, there is always a kind of office. (laughs) There's a vocation of the person who's going to uh, hold the leaders to account you know, hold the people to account and ask, like, are we acting in the same morality that freed us from Egypt, Mm. essentially? So uh, you get the prophet Amos, who is sees excessive uh, um, self-indulgence and exploitation in the leaders of Israel and is judging them for their uh, oppression of the poor and you know their selfish gain and you know jeremiah does something similar isaiah you know jesus is a prophet you know today you know martin luther king was a prophet you know malcolm x was a prophet james baldwin was a prophet yes but the the vocation being like seeing the writing on the wall i mean even that phrase the writing on the wall comes from the book of daniel who was the first apocalyptic prophet and you know as getting on a soapbox <laughs> and saying what the truth is like wanting to speak truthfully to the world in in a in a moral frame yeah yeah absolutely and i mean i don't mean to sound excessively jordan peterson esque um, <laughs> but there, that is kind of an archetype that people just that that societies just keep playing out over and over and over again. Not, and and I don't mean it in like the pseudo spiritual bullshitty way that he means it, but just that you know there that the the story of the prophets in scripture are meaningful to us because we can all think of times when. Something bad was happening, either personally or societally. Someone tried to warn us, and we didn't listen. That's yeah. just a pattern of human behavior. And right. that's why biblical stories are so powerful sometimes, because they just tap into like those, those human patterns that we just see over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So a question about... So here's a question. 
it's just talking to you and reading your book. You would you describe yourself as a Christian? Uh, yes, begrudgingly it, it, these <laughs> days. Understood. Uh, there was, you know, when I was, you know, a year ago or a, a couple of years ago when I was writing the book, maybe I would have just easily said yes. I, I've been really revisiting this question lately, and um, it it bothers me a lot because, uh, you know, I've been studying early Christianity and seeing that a lot of the problems that we're still having in the in the Christian church today are problems that started then. Mm. You know, so I I can't I don't have the luxury anymore of like appealing to some kind of like in the the nucleus of. Right, some some genetic truth. To, yeah, that goes back to the beginning. That is like the essence of Christianity or whatever. But really, the thing that bothers me most is the proverbial uh, doomsday machine. Uh, the person with his finger on the end, the end planet Earth, end human human civilization button. Uh, to speak metaphorically, is a Christian. <laughs> like, yeah, the like I said earlier, like the most powerful people are Christians, and the the people who are during doing the worst are usually Christians. And you know, even in this this nation's a Christian nation. I think that that's one thing that the Satanic Temple really gets about. The United States that the United States doesn't get about itself is that it's <laughs> it's still a Christian nation. Very it's like, much so. It's still like completely run by Christians. It's still like being determined and shaped by Christian ideas. Um, it it's like still worshiping the Christian God, uh, like on its currency and in its laws. Yep. I mean, friggin'. Uh, the House of Representatives like opened in prayer. I don't. I don't. Maybe this is a thing. I was just watching. Oh, it's the, a thing. Yep. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, and and town you're, halls. You're praying to God. <laughs> town halls and and you know governmental bodies all over the country, from the smallest town halls all the way up, start with invocations many of which are most of which vast majority of which are explicitly christian yeah and so yeah i mean no you're right it's and it's one of those but just like to to answer your question sure, from, sure. from that so it's like on the one hand like to say i'm a christian is like so misleading because <laughs> whatever you think of a christian it's like automatically not you know, my life. The other thing is like, I am pretty much like I am part Satanist. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I've definitely always kind of been a Satanist. Yes. You're, you are um, definitely the most, one of the most Satanic Christians I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pretty Satanic Christian. So <laughs> I say, I sometimes just describe myself as a Satanist Christian, which is like, you know, maybe that's the right thing to say. I think the other thing is, the more I study uh, historical Jesus studies, Jesus isn't even my favorite prophet in the Bible. <laughs> like, yeah. So, it, like, I would sooner say that I'm a a, a Jeremian or a, an Amosian, or like I don't even know what you would say, but like Ezekielian, Ezekielian, Ezekielian. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a kind of snake or like a a villain, like Definitely. a reptile villain. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of was. No, definitely. And it also doesn't sound like you're very creedal in in like the in in terms of the apostles and Nicene Creed. It's it's Yeah, definitely like not the Nicene Creed cuz that was Emperor Constantine. Right, like... right, 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 right. So <laughs> so things like and I don't I don't mean to like grill you on your dog on on your, you know, oh, no, dogmatic so beliefs. Um but uh, the resurrection, the Trinity, uh, virgin birth, the specific, you know, the very specific claims, historic claims of Christianity. Where do you stand on those? Yeah. So um, I don't mean I to actually, ask and, you like the, the yeah, most no, this is... the most awkward and and 
uncomfortable <laughs> questions that you could ask any Christian. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, you set yourself up for it when you, you know, write a book as a Christian theologian. Um, but yeah, like the, the other reason why I say I'm a Christian is I attend two Christian churches. Sure. So, uh, and I'm, you know, one of them I go to every week. The other one, you know, I go to like maybe once a month, once every other month. Um, and at one of them, we recite the Apostles' Creed every week. And um, at the other, we recite the Didache, um, which is an early Christian um, liturgical document. Um, and, uh, you know, one of like our kind of confessions of faith there is like Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And, um, you know, the Apostles' Creed has got all that stuff in it. It's got, you know, Jesus dying for the sins, coming down and descending to the dead, being raised three days later. He's coming to judge the living and the dead, you know, all that. Um, in a certain sense, I used to hardcore believe all of that, you know, and even my master's thesis is like, way more confessional than i am now um and like absolutely believed in resurrection and and for people who don't know what that means it doesn't it doesn't mean that your master's thesis was confessional and that you like want to be walked on by nuns in stiletto heels it wasn't like (laughs) it isn't like you're confessing your deepest sins confessional in this context means a confession of the what are what are believed to be the central creeds and claims of the Christian faith. Right. So you are confessing belief in Christ being resurrected from the dead on the third right. day. Right. That's what that means for people who aren't following. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, talked about the doctrines of the church being mysteries. And there is a tradition that runs throughout Christian history of like referring to the these creeds as mysteries so it's the mystery of the trinity it's the mystery of the resurrection you know uh and bonhoeffer who is a more modern theologian he said that in in order to preserve the mystery we shouldn't get too specific about what what those mean we may have to just remain silent about them um i find nothing unnatural about like reciting the words or singing the words, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Even if I don't believe that like Jesus is literally gonna like ascend from, descend from the clouds and Mm -hmm. you know, that like to literalize all of the apocalypticism, I don't. And one thing you may not have gotten to this in the book yet, but I, uh, and this was the last thing to go. This was my last, like, uh, the the idle, t- like, t- teetering and falling over. <laughs> the last you know, like, domino, right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the last thing that I was like, I can't believe this anymore. Uh, heaven. Mm. I'd, I don't believe in an afterlife. Okay. Um, well, I don't, I don't disbelieve in an afterlife. You know, who, who knows? Like, life was impossible until I was alive. So who mm. knows what's coming next? But I definitely don't believe in like the Christian heaven or hell. Hmm. And I I don't believe that, you know, that that's the ultimate fate is like, we're all gonna come before the judgment seat of God and be separated between those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. I don't, I don't believe in any of that. Hmm. Well, I am so sorry if your churches find this recording and excommunicate you because of everything <laughs> that you just said here. Um. <laughs> believe me, the stuff that I have preached in my churches i've i've been pretty impressed by <laughs> not like how long they've held out stoning me it's like all right i mean yeah i'm no, just gonna keep saying more crazy shit that's that's how i that's how i felt because i worked for a church up until the beginning of 2020 uh when COVID happened i was a yoga teacher for a fantastic episcopal church and I'd been teaching there since like 2016 or 2017. I became a Satanist in 2017, and then I became very public about it in like 2018. And I finally sat down with the pastor and was like, there are some things that you need to know <laughs> just just for your own sake if you want yeah. to keep employing me. And um, 
And she was great about it. And she was like, no, just keep being you. And and it's fine. You're fine. And you're always welcome here. And That's nice. and I still love, you know, I, I love liturgy and I love kind of high church liturgy that that it that like hits all of my buttons. And I've actually really missed it when I do miss Christianity. That's what I miss. I miss mm. the liturgy. So is it is is it hard to be in a place where you're really at odds with the majority of your fellow Christians is what's that like? Is that challenging? Um, so I wouldn't actually say that uh, I'm at odds with the Christians that I am around regularly. Yeah. That um, you break bread with. And that's because, yeah. yeah. And that's because our understanding of what it means to be Christian has much more to do with what we come and do together. Mm. And uh, I loved this. What a, a professor of mine who. Um, was married to uh, an atheist, uh, and she was a Christian. I asked her about that, and I was like, "Like, how has that?" Because at the time, I was an atheist. I I went. I I was like an atheist for like a year and something. Because you know, just dis- disillusionment will really it it's do okay. A number on you. <laughs> Athe- atheism happens to the best of us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was asking her, and my wife is also a Christian. So, uh, and it, that was hard for her when I kind of told her that I didn't believe in God anymore. I, man, there was a friend of mine who I brought him to tears when I said, I don't believe in God anymore. Yeah. Like, I've, he, I've had those conversations so too. Yeah. I've, I've had um, those conversations and it sucks Yeah, it, to, to be on the receiving end, like, like you were making people cry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, dude, I mean, it's like, you you didn't realize how much their faith depended on everyone around them, Oh, absolutely. Like, believing. Yeah, um, definitely. But my professor said, uh, she said that like for her, it's we get upset about the same things in life and we mm. enjoy the same things. We get happy about the same things. We're involved in the same activity. And like that's what brings us together and strengthens the our relationship. And to me, that's uh, that's my relationship with the the Christians in my life, who whom I have good relationships with. It's we're very much united by our activity. the The communities that I've found that um, you know kind of represent a, a a good Christianity are they give me so much life. Good, yeah, no, that makes sense, and. No, I mean it's it's actually it's eerie actually listening to you talk because it it's very reminiscent of my own experience where I would say that privately I am, you know, my my satanism is very private and there are some satanists in the area who I connect with but really the vast majority of my friends in the area are Christians and mm. who've just kind of held on to this friendship through all of my religious permutations. And it is very much an, an orthopraxy over orthodoxy commitment yeah. that we have together, you know, right action over right belief. And I feel like we now find find that for each other, me and my friends, within our religions and, yeah. and to, to extend that to each other, just being more concerned about how people treat their neighbor than we are with what someone believes and yeah you know that that to me is the most important thing i mean and what i think one of my favorite like along those lines one of my favorite things that jesus said was you can judge a tree by its fruit yeah definitely and and that's what i'm constantly beseeching christians to do when it comes to satanists and to to say yes i know the name is scary i know you don't get it but but look at the lives that people are living and how does this enable people to treat their neighbor? Look at that. And, you know, one of the lines in the invocation for the temple reads something like, let us judge people by their concrete actions, not by arbitrary norms or societal expectations. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, you know, I'm fortunate to have friends who are still Christian, but who who have cultivated that approach to life. And so it, you you let's see where where do I want to go with this? You you this has just turned less into, you know, talking about Black Sabbath and theology and much more about, you know, your own psychology, <laughs> your own personal walk. But I think that people find that would find that really I think that people will find this really interesting because there some the idea of being a a Christian the way you are a Christian, a theologian in the way you are a theologian is I uh, probably alien to a lot of people. That's probably very yeah. new. So it's probably helpful for people to see that that there there's more than just one kind of Christian. I think that's important. Yeah, it was either last June or the June before that Pride Month. Uh, I was marching at, in the Queer Liberation March here in New York, and uh, I, I was there with my church, St. Lydia's, and I was one of the people holding the banner for the church. My friend who, when I quote him, he, he's, he says, I have to clarify that he's a, a gay militant atheist. So my gay militant <laughs> atheist friend is right next to me because I I was hanging out with him, you know, that day. And then we went to the march together. And then in front of us is our representatives from the Satanic Temple and they're marching. Oh, who? Who was it? Was it Joe D? Oh, I didn't, I, I didn't know who it was. Oh. It was like, it, it was happenstance. We had... You were right next to, to the... cross paths. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. We are marching, Christians and Satanists marching That's together in, at the Queer Liberation March. So I said, hail Satan, hail Satan. And there I am, like, yes. holding the banner of the church, like, <laughs> with the horns. And they turn around. They're like, hail Satan. <laughs> That's perfect. I looked up... I looked over at my pastor and he gave me this look like he wasn't against it, but he was like, I have never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. No, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that I love is that kind of pluralism and yeah, the ability to find common cause between different traditions and and genuine ecumenism between different traditions. So I mean, we're coming up on an hour-ish, but do you have any questions for me? Um, I I definitely, I think, will, as I like continue to listen to the show and read your work, I, I did, um, I mentioned in my email when I listened to your Q&A, it, it struck me as like very pastoral. Uh, <laughs> yes. It had, like everything you said, it was like you were you know, you, you were getting the moral of the story, you know, and you, you were giving advice. Oh, which, which, were... which Q and a was this, was this the solo? Yeah, it was the first one okay, yeah, that I did back in, back in 2020. Yeah. I've, I've vaguely... So I, yeah, I guess my question for you is, do you see yourself as a kind of minister to the dis disaffected, disenchanted Satanists and lapsed Christians, ex-evangelicals, whatever. Definitely. Like, do, you, do you see your role as a kind of ministerial role? Definitely. Yeah, and and I am, in fact, in a ministerial role. I am a minister of Satan in the Satanic Temple. So I am ordained oh, okay, right in on. TST. And, you know, I've always had that, you know, I, I'm from a family of ministers. Both of my sisters are ministers. My brother-in-law is a minister. Both my parents are are pastors. Like it, it's just. And now I am a minister too, just not in the way they expect. So I'm <laughs> I'm just you know I'm just continuing the family tradition, but just not in the way they anticipated. And so you know, pa the pastoral thing has always been part of my blood. But I am also a minister in the Satanic Temple. That does not confer upon me any special leadership within the temple, but that does mean that that the temple trusts me to be a a good friend to the community, and that's that's really what it means is to is is that I comport myself by standards, uh, certain stand ministerial standards in all all aspects of life, regardless of whether people know I'm a minister or not. 
So yeah, I very much see myself as a minister. And not not just on the show and not just in my writing and not just when I'm doing, you know, various satany things, but in general. It, you know, for me it's a very holistic thing. Um so yeah. You know where the word ministry comes from or minister? The uh the god of pastures and fields. Is that right? Uh no, well, that, I don't no, know. It's, I think it's. I think past. I think the word pastor has connections. Oh yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, but no, it, the uh, ministry is the translation of the Greek word diakonia, which means to wait at a table. It's oh, it's, that's 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 accurate. It, table yes. service. <laughs> that's very table accurate. Table service. Yes. So uh, yeah, I always love that. It's fundamentally, it's just a service. Yes, definitely. But yeah, I it, when I uh, so I I often preach at the the churches that I go to, and um, it's really funny because you know you come from a family of ministers. My dad was a preacher for the longest time, and you know, growing up in church, I'm sure you've heard this kind of thing because you've have a charismatic background too. But I would always get like. You have the anointing of the oh, Lord. Oh God, I fucking hate that. Like, I got it all the time. Like, yeah, and it was like, it was like I see it. You have a gift, and it was like, you know, um, and and it would kind of fo follow me in in surprising ways. Like I would go, I'd be visiting a church, and I'd just be sitting in the audience, and the preacher would, who I wouldn't know, he point points me out and is like. Can you come? Can you come pray for us? You just have. I just. You just have the anointing of the Lord on you. I. I and, know exactly what you're talking about, and it's like, so what did it, I do? What is yeah, it? Yeah, and then of course I'm. <laughs> I'm a, pre a preacher's kid, you know. So I'm like, my. I look up to my dad, and you know, I was very. I was a very serious kid. I was like geezer Butler in that way. Uh, I took my faith very seriously. I took the Bible very seriously. So I studied a lot. And so I wasn't ignorant about it. And so I would kind of, you know, take the, up those opportunities, whatever. But the funny thing was, I was told this my whole life, you know, you, you're going to be a prophet. God's speaking through you. I, I go to school i go to regent university the school oh wow of yeah Robertson. yeah yeah and uh i study biblical studies and theology i go to seminary and i get a master of divinity in theology i preach frequently i i literally do it. i'm a prophet i literally do everything <laughs> that they all said <laughs> that i was gonna do but None of them read anything I write. None yes. of them listen to me. They all steer clear from me. Same. Like I like I'm a horrible, horrible influence. <laughs> same. I do all of the same things. Like I, I am doing all the things that people expected me to do. I'm just doing them as a Satanist <laughs> and not as a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Now that's great irony. It is. That's it's great it's irony. wonderful irony. It's good karma or something. Um all right. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me for the show. And thank you for reaching out to me. I so appreciate it. Yeah, no, I loved uh, you were on the Philosopher's Zone. Yes, and that's right. I'm not even uh, I'm not. Uh, I had only just discovered that podcast and the first episode I listened to because I'm such a satanic Christian um, <laughs> was the Satanist episode. Yes. And when I heard about you and your podcast it was i heard about your podcast and i was like well shit like i gotta <laughs> listen to that that sounds like that's right up my alley you know so um yeah no and this it'd be great to do it again anytime yeah you're welcome back anytime we clearly have a lot to talk about we clearly have a lot in <laughs> yeah. common it's kind of spooky we we even yeah okay people people can't even i just have to comment on this people can't see this but we both have like the same mustache and the same beard and the same long hair. Like it's it's kind of spooky. It's it's kind of uncanny. <laughs> I'm not from North Carolina, but my wife is from North Carolina. Oh, where in North Carolina? Uh Greensboro. Oh, okay. Well, I'm in Asheville, so not, Asheville, okay. not far at all. Anyway, cool. 
Well, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. And let's stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know what you think of the book when it's... Uh, when I will. It. I will. I'm about halfway so. through. Uh, no, a little less than halfway through. But yeah, I'll definitely let you know. All right. Oh, cool. For people who want to find your work, where can they do that? Uh, JackAmosHoloway.com. Perfect. I will post a link in the show notes. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes. No, iTunes doesn't exist anymore. You can find them on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and it is made possible by my patrons at patreon.com slash Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. 